Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I, as always, am Rudy Petro. And to my auditory and personal left is Doug Williams, my co-host extraordinaire. We should address the fact that we have the best <clears throat> intro song in the game, in the podcast and radio show game. It's definitely number one with a bullet. It's like strangely like a bit sexual, and it gets you kind of going, in, in not in that way, but just I am excited when I start this radio show next I got, to you. I got really scared there for a minute where you were going with that. But. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> you'll never know really where I was going with it, but... I just say I think we have the best the best intro song, in the and we have a podcast. We we have a podcast, so let's do some podcast okay, yeah. type things and I'll talk about sports that. and other things. Mm-hmm. As we sit here, this is the now the fourth episode of Yes Men, and is a podcast an episode? How, how does that work? There can be an episode of a podcast. So then, this would be the fourth episode, the season, fourth episode of the podcast, season one, episode not the fourth. Four. Yeah, if we're doing seasons. Or if we just do a big list. Are we know? like Breaking Bad? Do we take I, 10 uh, weeks and then take a know. year off? And then... I'm thinking the winter is kind of bleak. You know, you're going to want something to do. I would want to hear me in the winter. I'm, I like. I would want to hear you talk in the winter. I don't know. That's just me, though. I guess the ratings will tell us, huh? Yeah. Anyway, are, yeah. <clears throat> moving on to from our awkward AC opening. Nielsen, yeah. 90 seconds in and already I'm uncomfortable. Okay. No. Uh, this is what I do best, Liv. <laughs> this is the fourth episode edition, the fourth time we've sat here in front of two microphones and chatted for half an hour. And every time <clears throat> the discussion has begun with the state of the Yankees, it's been, will they get it together? It's been, will they keep it together? And now I guess we've batted around and we're back at the top of the proverbial order to, can they get it together? As we as we tape this on Tuesday afternoon, coming off a, a, a sweeping at the hands of the Red Sox, they sit two and a half back in the wild card thanks to events that happened on Monday while they were off. Even with 12 games left, nine of them being against last place teams and three against the Rays, who are currently the wild card leader, the only thing that's for sure, Doug, is that nothing seems to be for sure until the final bell sounds on the season. A few things have happened since we last did the show. Derek Jeter has has been declared out for the season. That happened about 15 minutes after we did the right, last that, show, that was which good is, you know, just our luck. Then the Yankees have played mediocre since we last spoke. <clears throat> no. But so has everybody else. That's and, also and true. This continues to be a trend. We don't know what to tell you other than the fact that time will tell what's going to happen because the Yankees haven't played great. Like a few, maybe a month ago, we said they're going to have to go win 93 games. They haven't done that, and they won't do it. And they can't win 93 right. games. They can only win 91 at this point. So this whole situation is predicated on how badly other teams play. I don't, no one is arguing that the New York Yankees are a juggernaut. I don't think anyone's arguing that they have the kind of team that could win 100 games. Mm-hmm. They're too hurt. They don't have, you know, some of their biggest stars. I will say, though, that could they be the best out of the teams that they're, you know, playing for the wild card? Maybe. I mean, their argument can be made that their offense is better than the Rays. Given this team for the entire year, yes. Yeah. If you have a full year of Alex Rodriguez, a full year of Alfonso Soriano... Even without Teixeira and even without Jeter, because let's face it, they've played a full year without Tex and Jeter. I, I, I think you you got to look at their team right now as just as good as everybody else they're playing, even though you might think, like, <clears throat> yeah, I think the Rangers have a better roster than the Yankees, for people right. who might say that. Well, 
how much how much better can they be if they're diving in the standings right now? The standings tell the story, and the right. story says that Texas a lot is of two and a half games better than the Yankees. Yeah, that a lot of teams though are really similar right yes. now. There's a lot of parity. It's Boston, it's Oakland, it's Detroit, and it's about seven teams. That are literally within five games of each other. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of resent the National League for not having this. I think that they're missing out. I think the the Cardinals, Pirates, and Reds is kind of interesting. But well, is it, the, the is Nationals it, have made this a much more interesting no, race over the last... No, 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 no. Hear me out here. The Nationals have been written off for weeks. People have just been like, oh, it's a down year in Washington. It's this and that. And if you believe all the rumors and, and all the talk and, and all the beat writers... The Nationals may or may not have been interested in trading Dan Heron to the Yankees as recently as last weekend. <clears throat> so, I mean, even they may have written themselves off. But here they are now. They're, they're five games behind the Reds. They're just out of nowhere. They're, they're, they've won eight of their last ten coming into Tuesday. You know, they've got a doubleheader against the Braves on Tuesday, which is in progress as we speak. Um, you know, thanks to the unfortunate events in Washington yesterday, they had to postpone last night's game. So they have a doubleheader today. They win both of those games against the division-leading Braves, which is possible, and they're right in the thick of things, especially with the Central kind of having to battle it out over the last couple of weeks. So they've made it a race. Yeah, I, I would say so. It's still nothing to me like the well, AL that's, because that's this, two teams. This AL thing has been going on for <clears throat> months. We right. haven't known, and there are a bunch of different stories. The the Royals are their own story because no one really expected them to be here and because James Shields in their trade for Will Myers is totally paying off. The Yankees are a story because of the injuries that they've had to deal with. The Orioles, we everybody I thought I think knew with that lineup that they would be in the thick of things. Well, you had to figure that Tampa, Baltimore and the Yankees were going to be in the thick of things and Boston was a bit of a wild card. People picked them to finish last. And they're probably going to wind up with the best record in baseball, I which know they, they have at this point. But I, I know that people always say, kind of jokingly, like, well, Susan, you can't predict baseball. Well, in reality, you can't. You can't. The, this season is a perfect example of why you can't. The Angels are bad, and the Blue Jays are bad. That's basically all you need to know. And I wrote an article yesterday for YesNetwork.com just about how remarkable the Yankee season is, considering everything. And... A lot of people predicted that the Yankees would finish in fourth or fifth and not be very good. Right. People were making that prediction, thinking that Jeter would come back, <clears throat> thinking that Tejera would be healthy, thinking that Granderson would come back and stay back, thinking that Euclid would play all season, thinking that Hafner would play all season. None of that has happened. And still, the Yankees are better than people thought right. they would be. And, and they play in a division which, <clears throat> you know, you can use whatever metric you want to talk about how tough a division is. It's Tuesday afternoon. The Yankees are 79-71 and 71 with 12 games to go. Two and a half back in the wild card. Okay? Fourth place in the Central is Minnesota at 64-85. and 85. Fourth place in the West, Seattle, 66-84. and 84. The Mets are in fourth place. They're 67-82. and 82. San Diego and San Francisco and Colorado are jockeying to see who finishes third through fifth in the West, and none of them are over 500 either. It's just and a, the Yankees have to win two games the rest of the way to finish 500. So what does that tell you about that division? And that's not even counting a Toronto team that everybody thought was going to win 130 games in the World Series on March 1st. What's funny is that the Toronto team, might, <clears throat> like you said, the division is so good that who knows if the Toronto team would be that bad in any other division. Right. <laughs> because the other teams in this division are so good. 
Imagine facing those four teams 75 times a year. I mean, that's roughly half of their games are against four teams that are in or fighting for playoff spots. Only three of them could realistically make it, obviously, but that's four teams that are going to finish with 80 to 85 wins or more that you have to face 75 times a year. That's not an easy task. And we've talked about this before, but the fact that the Yankees are jo- are trying to get into a one-game playoff <clears throat> means a lot, and it doesn't mean a lot. It, it, it's useful, and it's not useful information because from where we sit now, if the Yankees end up being in a wild-card game, I have no idea who will win. And a night before, I will have no idea who will win because one-game playoffs are totally off paper. You you can't look at them and know who's going to win based on the pitching matchup. I mean, we've talked about the the matchup last last year with uh, with the Orioles throwing Joe Saunders. Yeah, Joe Saunders pitched for the uh, a journeyman who is a 500 pitcher has pitched for some good teams, bad teams. Isn't anyone you're going to ever talk about in the Cy Young case and he he outdueled you Darvish, the rookie phenom who had a great year last year. He's having a great year this year. He's going to be a great, great, great pitcher for years to come. And Joe Saunders and the Orioles beat him. Yeah, that's what one-game playoffs bring. Because if your pitcher's not pitching very well in the third inning, take him out. Bring in your long guy. See if he's any better. Kyle Loesch had a phenomenal season last year. and looked, you know, Yep. And if... One-game playoff. And if there's a lefty on the mound, bring in a righty to face him. Yep. You know, that you're, you're able to do those things in a one-game playoff. So... People are like, well, why are you so excited even at the possibility of the Yankees make the playoffs if they're you know, going to just be in a one-game playoff? Well, they could really easily win it. You have to, you have to manage that one-game playoff, and Buck Showalter did this last year, <clears throat> even with Joe Saunders on the mound. You have to manage that one-game playoff the same way Joe Torre managed Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS. I mean, how often, if ever, have you seen Roger Clemens get a hook in the third inning? Boston jumped out to a quick lead. They needed to do it. He did what he had to do. Mariano Rivera pitched, I think, three innings in that game. I, Messina came off the bench on little rest out of the bullpen and was phenomenal, all to get the Yankees to the World Series because that's the goal. It's 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 do or die. And the, the weird thing is that Joe Girardi's been having to make those decisions now for a few weeks. I right. mean, he's been making playoff decisions with his bullpen and his starting rotation for a few weeks because this has been the playoffs for the New York Yankees. And I think a lot of people look at that and look at their team right now and the state of things with the Yankees and think, no chance. You know, they, this was a great right. run. They're probably just done. Everybody looks hurt. You know, Soriano with his thumb, A-Rod with his calf. But you can't do that at this point. And you the can't re- do it. And the reason we've been alternating between can they and will they keep it together is that if you take away the games they've played against the Red Sox in the last month, they've been great. I mean, their record is outstanding. It's minus so the, Red the Sox. Red Sox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, minus the Red Sox. And that's who you're going to play in the playoffs. You're only going to play one, if, if at all, of Tampa, Baltimore, Cleveland, Kansas City, Texas. In the, playoffs. I, the one uh, people are saying that the Yankees just went to Fenway and got crushed and got swept. Well, that's totally true. I can't deny that. What I will say is that they did take two out of three a few weeks ago in Boston, and that looked like a totally different team. Yes. They can. They can beat that team. And if they can beat the Red Sox, I think they could beat any team in the AL. Baseball is one of those sports where we've talked about it before. There's so much parity. Five-game set, 
one-game playoff, I'm sorry, but you can't determine those outcomes just like you can't determine which teams are going to be good before a season. Right. I mean, if you look at the way the rotation kind of lines up, I mean, we've we've talked about it, you and I, that you know John Farrell can line up his playoff rotation very soon to make sure that he gets, you know, Lackey, Lester, Buckholtz in some form, one, two, three, PV. I mean, we're sitting here talking about Jake PV as a number four starter. That's pretty scary. But the Yankees don't have that luxury, nor do any of those other teams kind of fighting. As it happens, if they keep everybody on the rest they're on and on the schedule they're on, even with yesterday's off day and even with next Monday's off day, you're looking at Haruki Kuroda starting that potential wild card playoff and then Sabathia Nova 1-2 in the ALDS, oh, yeah. which, which is pretty much perfectly how you'd want to lay it out. And I think even even if it does work out that way, which is positive for the Yankees, you're going to be looking at a tired day-to-day team yes. in the playoffs. Yes. You're not going to be looking at that polished playoff team that has the whole the whole plan, you know, has everything up on a calendar before they start mm-hmm. the playoffs. You're going to be looking at a tired, beat-up team that is living day-to-day. But there's no – you can't say that that team won't win the World no. Series. And that's going to be a team, though, that is without Brendan Ryan because he's not eligible for the postseason. So as he's played very well, as has just about everybody Brian Cashman has brought in to, to plug holes – He's he's got more Dutch boys putting more fingers and more holes in that dike than any team in baseball, and here they are. But th- that brings me around to to a different point, which I want to address because by next Wednesday it could be a belabored point, or it could be you know the Yankees could have clinched a wild card by by next week. You have 2014 looming. You have the edict of the 189 million luxury tax threshold looming, which Hal Steinbrenner said he wants to get the team under. What happens the last few days of the season, week, however long it is, if and when the Yankees are eliminated? With everybody being hurt, Soriano has the sprained thumb. Gardner probably going to miss the rest of the year as it is with an injury. A-Rod's got the sore hamstring. You know, Robbie Cano has played 150 games this year. He's played 148 of them, 149. I mean, he's been in the lineup just about every day. Do you continue to put those guys out there? Do you put the Zoilo Almontes, the J.R. Murphys, the David Adamses of the world out there? Do you pitch more Mike Zagurski, Cesar Cabral, Matt Daly, and Dellen Batances than you do? I mean, you know Rivera's going to pitch. He'll probably pitch every day, <laughs> to be honest, if, if the Yankees are eliminated because that's it. But do you put those guys out there over a David Robertson, over a Sean Kelly, over Jabba, over a Boone Logan if he somehow checks out okay with Dr. Andrews and, and can pitch again? What happens? Like what the Yankees haven't been even in 2008 when they were out of the playoffs, it wasn't until you know the last week of the season they had guys, but they they weren't really looking to the future because you know you look at what happened. They signed Sabathia, they signed AJ Burnett, they signed Teixeira. You know Johnny Damon was in his last year, Matsui. It wasn't like they had this kind of situation in 2008. I don't think that the Yankees have a lot of unknowns right now. I don't think that in their head they are like we don't know who this kid is. We don't know if he's going to be great or if he's going to be not great. I think that they know who is a prized prospect, who the future of their organization is versus who it just happens to be a young bench player. You know what I mean? So Right. But, in that, but in that vein then, let, let's talk about David Adams because you and I have talked about David Adams a lot. Mm-hmm. David Adams has not done well at the plate this year. He started off good and then has not he's not hit very well over the last 75% of his major league time. The Yankees don't know what Alex Rodriguez 
they're going to get, if any, in 2014? Do they get a guy who's on the rebound from hip surgery? Do they get a guy who's back to his form? Do they get a guy who's close to his form? Do they get a guy who's suspended the whole year? They don't know. I think, but that's why I think they'll just re-sign Mark Reynolds. Problem solved. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't think the Yankees think like every other team in terms of, well, this looks like a young kid that could step in. Usually the people that end up doing that are the really highly prized, proven prospects by the time they reach the bigs. They don't usually look at the 26, 27-year-old guys who've spent time in AA and AAA and said, yeah, we'll plug him in at the third base because this fan base doesn't accept that. This year they've they've had to. Right. I, they, I will agree with no that. This, this year they've own. had to by no choice of them. But then you get into that conundrum. Okay, so they re-sign, say A-Rod misses the entire year. Okay, they re-signed Mark Reynolds for one year. Well, Mark Reynolds was cut by a team that's ahead of the Yankees in the wild card because he was performing so poorly. He's been great since he came to New York, but he was cut by a team ahead of them because he was performing poorly. So you plug him in for a year, and even if he has a, let's say, a 25 homer, 80 RBI, throwing 150 strikeouts because you know it's what you're going to get out of Mark Reynolds, he has a Mark Reynolds season. A-Rod's still got a couple years left after that. Then what? It's like you're looking at a guy who's 40 who, you know— the uncertainty around Derek Jeter, you know, obviously you would think Jeter's going to pick up the $9.5 million option on his contract because I love him. He's the captain. He's undoubtedly Mr. Yankee, the face of the franchise. If Derek Jeter declines that option, there's no way he's getting $9.5 million from anybody, let alone the Yankees, to play shortstop or any other position in majors next year. So you know he's going to pick up that option. But again, you think, okay, after a full offseason of rest, he's going to be good. And everyone thought he was done a couple years ago, and then he had that hot second half in 2011 after he got to you know 3K, and then he was amazing in 2012. But can he do that again? What you know? Do they have anything? You've seen Eduardo Nunez, and I think a lot of Yankee fans will tell you they've seen enough of Eduardo Nunez this year to last him a lifetime. Brendan Ryan is one of the best defensive shortstops in the history of baseball, but is also one of the lightest hitting shortstops in the history of baseball. And if you look down the line, I mean. I can name six guys that have played shortstop for triple and double A this year that you'll either look at me and go, who the heck is that? Or, yeah. I agree with you. They have problems. There's no denying that in the future they have issues that they're going to need to confront. But in terms of guys like David Adams, the Yankees, in my opinion, have seen enough of him to know what he is. I don't think an extra eight to ten days at the end of this season would show you any difference in a player than it has for the, almost the first half. You know, he's played the equivalent of, you know, maybe a third of a baseball season. Right. They, they've seen a lot of them. I, honestly, the only hitter that I think the Yankees still don't really know what they have and would be anxious to see is Jared Murphy. Well, yeah, he's the, and he's the only one, obviously, that was called up on September 1st that hadn't seen any time. Right. So, yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, down the stretch, especially with Chris Stewart's foot being a little balky and, you know, Stort has played more games this year than he than he has in any other season, and he's looked the part at times. He's a warrior, you know, and Chris Stort is a very cerebral human being. I mean, you know it as well as I do. Every time you're in that clubhouse, he's on his Kindle reading, reading something, mm-hmm. just has a thirst for knowledge. But you can see he's wearing down a little bit. So down the stretch, yes, if and when Austin Romine, you know, the concussion is cleared up, he's going to play a lot. J.R. Murphy... Especially, like I said, if they get eliminated, you're going to see him probably just about every day, I would think, because they want to see next year, 
you know, do we keep Chris Stewart around? Do we go with Romine and Murphy? Is Murphy ready? Do we move past Romine? Do we still have Cervelli somewhere in the mix? When does Gary Sanchez come to the majors? I mean, he's in double A right now, so it's at least a year away, but J.R. Murphy ended last year in double A. Look where we are. So it's going to be a very interesting, it's going to be an interesting two weeks, just not only in terms of what happens on the field, but the way it happens on the field, I think. And hopefully next week we're sitting here saying, hey, the Yankees, how about that? You know, the Indians have a very easy schedule, too. Tampa plays Texas this week. So, you know, Cleveland's playing Kansas City. So who knows if they split, if one team sweeps. There's so much, so many fluid parts that you're better off waiting until the ride stops, getting your equilibrium, and then checking your surroundings than you are of even trying to prognosticate what's going to happen. Well, there's no, we have no choice. We will know in two weeks. <laughs> on September what's 29th, on? around yeah. 7 o'clock at night, we're going to know. If we are still alive. We will know. And speaking of, of Sundays, not just next Sunday, we're going to move on a little bit to the cover a little bit of the NFL here. Last week, uh, after we taped this podcast, we saw a sloppy in terms of play and field conditions game between the Jets and the Pats. Uh, sloppy, boring, <clears throat> tedious, uh, unskilled. Other adjectives that decry a lack of talent, skill, yeah, and or and my interest. boredom. Yeah. Yes. And then we saw... Peyton Manning, um, well, he shredded <laughs> the Giants' defense again uh, and won Manning Bowl 3, 3-0 yeah. you know, all-time. We'll probably retire as the undisputed Manning Bowl champion of the world. Yeah, he played really well. I didn't think that Eli mm-hmm. played badly. Um, this is the the whole argument right now in, in the media in New York is, are people concerned about his seven interceptions? Well, no, you can't be because he's the only weapon right now on offense. He can, right. He's the only deliverer of offense so if they don't have a running game, everyone knows what's coming. It's it, it's hard to, to get angry at Eli for throwing interceptions when they're a one-dynamic offense. And uh, I think he will yeah. end up getting better. I think if their running game improves just a little bit, he'll start to be able to use those those right. weapons. Which once Brandon Jacobs is in shape, because admittedly even Brandon Jacobs admitted he's not in fo- 100% football shape, you know, that'll, that'll help. Th- this is going to lead, lead me off to a little bit of a rant here. and th- This is one thing I hate. And it's funny when somebody like Dan Patrick mentions it in passing on SportsCenter in that Dan Patrick voice. And it's absolutely stupid when anyone else does it. The NFL is a little bit better than the other sports, but Eli Manning is on pace to throw 56 interceptions. Do you legitimately think he's going to throw half that many? Maybe. Maybe. But all of this on-pace stuff that everybody is like – it becomes the basis of everyone's argument. Oh, God, he's thrown, you know, yes, he's thrown seven interceptions in two games. That's bad. Okay, I get it. He's had two bad games. Will he have more bad games this year? Yes. Will he throw seven interceptions between any two games for the rest of the year? Everyone hopes not, I'm sure. There's no way he's going to come close to 56 picks. The same way there's no way Peyton Manning is going to come close to 72 touchdowns, which he's on pace for. Okay? Anyone who's panicking and saying, if anyone has this discussion with me and uses the Eli is on pace for 56 interceptions line, that's the end of the discussion. I can't do it. Yeah, I can't on do pace. It. How because, much does that actually mean? Because the Bengals are on pace to go 16-0. and 0. I'm just saying. You know, I'm just saying. It's two games into the season. It's a small sample size. Again, the NFL, you only play 16 games as opposed to 82, 162, however many it may be in any other sport. So two games isn't as small of a sample size as you think because two games in the NFL season is, you know, 15. 
to 20 in, in, you know, any other sport. You have to wait. You, you can't – I mean, he's played the Broncos, who are a pretty good team, and the Cowboys, who – I mean, it's Giants-Cowboys. It doesn't matter if one team is 1-15 and, and the other one's 15-1. and one. That 1-15 one team is going to be just as up to play the 15-1 and one team as the other way around. I mean, let's look at the, the landscape. The Patriots are 2-0 and oh, and sh- could and very well should be 0-2. And, and Tom Brady looks lost because he doesn't have a receiver that has seen an NFL playbook for more than a week. But they're on pace to go 16-0. But they're on pace to go 16-0. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you can't take that one stat and just – it boggles my mind that people use that as a basis for their argument. But anyway, I, I digress because I don't want to spend too long. It's getting tense in here, folks. <clears throat> just, you know – Kvetching. The point of this whole thing is, is, is Doug and I are, are both in multiple uh, survivor pools, as I'm sure many of you listening are. It's a very fun way to to kill five minutes on a Sunday morning deciding who's going to win. I also happen to be in one where you have three strikes. Yeah, I don't have that luxury. So you can kind of take a chance. I've taken Indianapolis and I've taken the Patriots the last two weeks in both of my pools. There's a lot of interesting games this week. You have the Packers at the Bengals. The Bengals are on pace to go 16-0. and The Packers, no not I, so much. No shot I would pick either team in that <clears throat> game. Right. You have the Rams at the Cowboys, which... Again, no can shot. Can you make an educated, I think an the educated Cowboys, guess I think, at who's going to win that game? I think the Cowboys will win that game. It's in Dallas. Yeah, so, I think yeah, they'll so win that's, that game. that's very good. But would you bet your life, which is pretty much what you're doing in a survivor pool, you're betting your life in that pool on the Cowboys this week? Would you bet your life on RG3 and the Redskins playing the Lions, who are scuffling just as much as they are, and Reggie Bush may not be 100%, RG3 is not 100%. Do you put anything on, on that game? No, I, I, I don't think you can bet on the Redskins right now because of the play of their quarterback. Because without a good RG3, they're the same team they had with Rex Grossman. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I apologies for that couple seconds of speechlessness, but yeah, pretty much. So you can't you can't say that they're going to win any game, and I, are they on the road? Yeah. Who's that? The Redskins? No, no they're, at they're at home. They're at home. The Especially, well, I'm, you know, you know what I mean. It's just you can't bet on that team unless you, you start to feel like he has his legs underneath him. Yeah. How much? But that's the thing too with this on pace argument is <clears throat> how much can you trust the Dolphins who are two and zero? No trust at all. Maybe I'm just an untrustworthy at guy. At home against the Falcons. I, I, I cannot trust them, especially against a, a juggernaut of an offense like the Falcons. I do think, I will say, if I had to bet on that game, I would bet on the Dolphins because... They'll the, probably still be the underdog even though they're at home. Right. But the Falcons <clears throat> are, are the kind of team... Actually, though, the Dolphins are favored. But the Falcons, for this reason, aren't a very good team on the road. It's just the fact that they they like they don't like playing outdoors. That's true. They are Even such it'll an be indoor team. To eighty and sunny in Miami, oh, yeah. that day, but... and there'll be what twenty five thousand <coughs> people there, <laughs> if that. So, <clears throat> I, I just uh, I, I I have a hard time trusting unproven teams. I every week I bet on the teams that are either favored or the teams that I just have a gut feeling about that haven't had a lot of turnover or don't have a a, a rookie quarterback or something like right. that. So I wouldn't pick the Dolphins. I picked the Atlanta Falcons last week. Which, right. which was a victory for me. As, as we talk about this, I'm sitting here. I have the picks. Uh, I am the one who collates the selections for the This Week in Football panel for YesNetwork.com on a weekly basis. So I have them in front of me right here. More than one person has picked the Steelers, the 0-2 Steelers, whose offensive line resembles a and block of Swiss And they made these picks cheese. today, right? Today. After last night's loss? Right. Okay. 
Okay. Their offensive line resembles a block of Swiss cheese. Multiple people have picked them to beat the Bears with Steelers at home. So more the than, Bears more than are one, the away More team. than one person yeah. has picked the Steelers at home against the Bears. Have you seen anything out of the Steelers that makes you think they could beat anybody, let alone the Bears? Kind of, uh, <clears throat> kind of agree with them. I, I will, I will agree with them. I think the Steelers are going to win that game. I have not seen any proof. That I'm not okay. making. I'm so not it's just arguing a gut that feeling. No, yeah, it's also just the fact that Mike Tomlin is a scary guy, <laughs> and he will scare his team into playing really hard in front of a national audience on Sunday Night Football at home. At home, <clears throat> on a short field, week, though. Ben Roethlisberger will come out and he'll play well. On a short week, though, because they did play Monday night. Here's the thing. Here's the other thing that's weird about that is they showed this graphic last night at the end of the game, and it's something that, when you look at it, it just shows you how good of a franchise they've been. Mike Tomlin has never, until today, had never coached a team that was two games or more under 500 in Pittsburgh. They have not been two games under 500 in his entire tenure, which is seven, the seventh year now. They're one of those organizations <clears throat> that a lot of people credit the quarterbacks and a lot of people credit the coaches. But in reality, it's the organization as a whole. The Patriots have been good for a long time. The Steelers have been good for a long time. Yes. The Saints have been, with the exception of one season, good for a long in time. In the Sean Payton Drew Reeves right. era, yes. These are organizations that know who to draft. These are organizations that know who to pick up in free agency. These are organizations that know what coaches to hire. The Packers. The Packers, too. The Steelers are that kind of team. Just because their offensive line looks bad, I'm not going to say they won't win this weekend because of that. I think that they have the personnel and kind of just the rounded look to them that, that, that I could understand You know, the reason for them being picked on Sunday Night Football. So for those for those who happen to be curious, uh, <clears throat> and Doug and I have had this disagreement today too. Doug's on the Doug's on the Seahawks this week. They're they're at home against the Jaguars, which they could play the Jaguars on the moon and probably beat them by. Yes, yeah, someone out there, please <clears throat> argue with me about this. But the Seahawks at home, I mean, you saw what they did to the 49ers on Sunday night. Me, meanwhile, I'm taking the Broncos at home against the Raiders on Monday Night Football. Even though I know the Raiders always give the Broncos trouble, especially at Mile High. It's even where they actually are better at Arrowhead, oddly enough. I don't know what it is about the Raiders and road division games, but even though they give them trouble, I, I think Peyton Manning has too much talent on offense. That's a team that's going to win 13 to 14 games this year. We can't claim to be making two off-the-wall crazy picks there. No. Because they're the two most favored teams. But I do know this. What? Peyton Manning needs to throw four-and-a-half touchdown passes to maintain his pace of 72 for the season. He's he's on pace. <laughs> It's very possible that he could throw four and a half touchdown passes. He's on pace to be the first (laughs) player elected to the Hall of Fame midseason as a starting quarterback. (laughs) He'll be at at 65 touchdowns, and Canton will just open his doors. So he's sort of like the the nature boy Ric Flair of the NFL, the WWE Hall of Fame the day before he retired? WWE references all go right over my head, Lou. You know that. I'm not a wrestling fan. I prefer sports where there isn't a production meeting beforehand that – Dictates everything. But the WWE champion, or the guy who was the WWE, Daniel Bryan uses our network name as his catchphrase. I mean, we're in the public eye millions of times on a Monday night. I think most people answering a question use our network name as a catchphrase, right? Or not a catchphrase, but just kind of like 
they say it a lot. I think we get a lot of airtime for people who are just answering a, quote, yes or no, end quote, question. Am I totally losing you? No, I'm just seething because you're right and you've ruined my entire argument, my entire baseless argument. I think my pick, going back to sports and the realm of our podcast, I think my pick is safer because I think nobody, I don't think, can beat the Seahawks at home. I mean, think about it. When they get Percy Harvin back, they're going to have Beast Mode, Percy Harvin, Sidney Rice, Golden Tate, and Russell Wilson all on the same offense. Then you turn to the defensive side, they're unbeatable. They hit the hardest. They they cancel a wide receiver. With what, they did, what they did in the second half against San Francisco was very impressive after the rains came and the, and the delays, so that's true. I just think Peyton Manning is... Oh, that one too. In Denver, I mean, Denver's offense... And I have a feeling that the Jaguars are going to be the team this year that knocks a lot of people out of their survivor pools because they look like a team that could very well go 0-16. And if the Lions hadn't done it a few years ago, I would say that it's impossible. They're going to win one game. The law of averages says they'll beat somebody. And it'll probably be somebody like Indianapolis or Houston that you'll be like, how the hell did they win that game? Yeah, it'll be like an unmotivated quality team whose quarterback like misses a week yeah. or two an injury. In, in, in week 13 when they're playing like Andrew Luck will like, get a high ankle sprain or something and he'll lose to them. Matt Schaub will have a hangnail or some other injury. Um, but the Jaguars might be the team. I mean, last year in our survivor pool here, you know, here at the S Network, we, we do one for fun. And half the league got knocked out when Arizona beat New England at Gillette. Last year, so anything can happen. My pick for the uh, my pick for the three strikes pool, I think that was going to be the Vikings playing at home against the Browns, possibly without Brandon Weeden. I like that pick a lot, uh, mostly because a lot of people pick the strategy of if there's a bad team or a low quality team playing another low quality team that you think you can get out of the way, because obviously you can't pick a team twice. Uh, and that, that's where the strategy pick. of picking against the Jaguars so to speak, comes in. You know, a lot of people picked against, against the Chiefs, too, last year because they were terrible. And if you don't pick a sure thing and something crazy happens in the sure thing, then you're one of the minority because then everybody yep. else will be knocked out, but you'll still be in Because you know what? Everybody that's on Seattle, if the Jaguars pull the upset of the century, right. is going to get is gonna get knocked out. And those of us who took the Vikings or the Cowboys or the Eagles or the Chiefs, really, that's another game I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. You know, those are the ones that are going to be riding high. So... We'll see how that all turns out. The entire slate of Twift picks will be on the website on Thursday, right before Chiefs-Eagles. Donovan McNabb getting his jersey retired by the team at halftime, so that'll be fun. Andy Reid in the house and a lot of storylines. You can't say the Thursday night games aren't uh, aren't at least storyline-filled anyway. But they have a very weird <laughs> intro song. They do. And, that, that and Brad Nessler me. still sounds a little out of place announcing NFL games after all those years doing college. But Everything feels a little weird on Thursday nights, doesn't it? It's like, should I be watching football? Should this woman be singing to me? It's a little bizarre. I do agree. Everything just feels a little off. Because Monday Night Football has been that, like, it's Monday Night Football. You know, Hank Williams or whoever. Fox NFL Sunday is great. CBS does a good job. NBC does a good job. It all feels totally normal, but... The NFL Network is still going through some growing pains. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, I guess next week we'll see how that Thursday Night game shapes up, how those games shape up, and we'll see where the Yankees stand in the standings. Until then, for my co-host extraordinaire to my left, Doug Williams, I am Lou DiPietro saying we will see you next time.